What's up, y'all? This is Ramel Watley, and welcome to Truck and Hustle, the podcast for trucking entrepreneurs. If you want to learn about the trucking industry from the business side of things, you're in the right place. Every week, I interview the people who are making it happen on a daily basis. I get them to share their successes, their failures, and sometimes even their secrets. The goal is to show you how you too can create financial freedom in the booming trucking industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. There are over 20,000 registered carriers in the state of Texas. It's oversaturated. If people are getting in thinking that they're just going to go buy a truck off the side of the road, make some money real quick, not do it the right way, it hurts our industry. It hurts our image. It hurts who we are. You guys were named like the most diverse trucking company Mm -hmm. in Houston, Texas, right? Mm -hmm. We have years and years and years of combined experience, whether it be an intermodal or flatbed heavy haul, hotshot. We have people that know what they're doing. Turn my mic up. Take there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the road to the riches. Life takes a toll like bridges. Good friends become foes and snitches. Better watch who knows in your business. All right, all right, Hustle Fam, Hustle Fam, we are back with another amazing episode, and I am here in Houston, Texas. I am joined with Jessica King, the CFO of Palletize Trucking. Jessica. Hey. How are you? Good. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So first of all, before we even get into the show, I have to say thank you for being a speaker at this year's Freight Fest. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. I know yeah. you're going to bring tons of value to the stage, so I'm super excited about that. I so thank you that. for that. Thanks. Um, we're going to talk about palletized truck and obviously your role in the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a third, your third generation, third generation. business. Mm-hmm. You guys have been around for how long? How many years? Since 1969. So 1969. So when we talk about like, you know, generational family businesses, that this is great. Like we love this to talk about it. this kind of thing. So this is the real deal. Uh, palletized trucking, you guys are primarily in the intermodal space. Is that what no, you mainly do? I would not say that. No? Okay. No. I'm wrong. So you tell me, what do you guys primarily do? I would say that we're in all modes of transportation. So intermodal, vans, um, flatbed, heavy haul. So that's like out of gauge, oversized freight. Um, hot shot brokerage. I mean, we really do it all. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I did read that you guys were named like the most diverse trucking company mm-hmm. in Houston, yeah. Texas. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty dope. And you know, there's not a lot of companies like that, that kind of are able to dive in all those different niches. So we'll talk about how you guys were able to kind of develop that and uh, how, how it became that way. Great. Uh, let's l- start with a little bit of your backstory. So third generation, let's talk about you growing up. Are you from Houston, I'm assuming, from the area? No? I am not from Houston. Okay. I call myself a small town farm girl Okay. Um, who has really adjusted to the city life. I love Houston. So I grew up in, small, in a small town in southeast Kansas. I grew up on a farm. Um, my dad was a farmer and, you know, I grew up in all things farming. You know, we would hay and had cows and pigs and all kinds of things going on. Kansas. Uh-huh. Is that, that's the Wizard of Oz, right? Resident, so you were Wizard like uh, Dorothy. Dorothy. I clicked, <laughs> I clicked my heels. <laughs> you clicked your heels. All right. So yeah. you, how long were you in Kansas? Um, I lived in Kansas all of my life. I went to the University of Kansas um, and graduated. And right when I graduated, I moved here to Houston. So my grandparents were originally from Kansas. So that's where my dad moved back to. Okay. Um, So that's why I was there. And then they moved here in the early 60s to, um, it was my grandfather moved here for a better job opportunity. I got my degree in accounting. 
I did not. So nobody in our family had graduated from college. My dad did not graduate from high school. Um, so it was always a dream of his for me to go to college. And obviously I wanted to be um, the best I could be. So went to college. I graduated in three years and, you know, I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to be in the business. And in 2008, so I graduated in 2008. If you guys remember 2008, 2009. Yeah, bad time. Bad time. Um I was actually looking at opening a bar, a live music <laughs> venue, and both my dad and my grandfather called and they're like, this is the worst decision ever. Like, do not do this. Like, this, And it, they were like, if you fail, we are not bailing you out. Like, this is mm. it. Um, and they said, you know, there's a position here in Houston for you. So if you want it, you know, come take it. Now's the time. So, so, so you you wanted you you went to school for accounting, mm-hmm. but you wanted to be an entrepreneur, just a business yeah. owner. Mm-hmm. So, like, was that like always your goal, just entrepreneurship? Like, how did you how did you arrive at that? Like, going from going to school for accounting to yeah, I want to open up a bar. Like, kind of just talk to me about your mindset. Yeah, there. I think I was young, and okay. I think that I wanted to have some type of start on my own, and I didn't necessarily want to come immediately work for family. I wanted to have my own experience. And, um, all right, guys, Truck and Hustle has now partnered with Transpo CFO, powered by Venning. Transpo CFO offers a streamlined monthly subscription for businesses to consolidate their accounting, payroll, and tax needs into one flat monthly rate, saving businesses a tremendous amount of time and money while making their financial operations much smoother for the long road ahead. Check out Transpo CFO in the description below and tell them Truck and Hustle sent you. Now, let's get back to the show. I loved the city that or the town that I lived in and it was it was, you know, a great town and I thought that it would be a really good opportunity but my dad was like nobody's going to spend money on booze and stuff like we're in a downtown during that time. Yeah. Got it. So, Got it. So you you come to Houston? Come to Houston. And you get started in the family business. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that transition. So my dad and grandpa called me I think on a Friday, Thursday or Friday. I booked a U-Haul on a Saturday and I got here on Sunday and unloaded the U-Haul at my uncle's house. And I call my grandfather. I'm like, hey, I'm here. Like, I'm going to, I'll see you in a couple days. And he's like, no, you need to be at work at 5 a.m. I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, give me a couple days. He's right. like, no, be here at 5 a.m. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I pull up, he, I pull up and my grandfather was known for driving a minivan and, um, Pull up next to him. He's like, all right, get in, get in. We're going to go visit some of our customers. We have some drivers over there. So I'm like, okay, go over there. And my grandfather's just immediately swarmed with drivers. And I'm kind of an introvert at times. And I'm like, I tell my grandpa, like, this is not going to work. I, I cannot do this. Like, this is too many, too many interactions at once. So he's like, okay, we get back over here. He's like, go, go answer the phone. You're, you're going to be the receptionist. I'm like, huh, (laughs) I'm not like I just graduated from college. Right. right. He's like, no, you are. I'm like, I quit. He's like, no, you don't. (laughs) You're going to answer the phones. So that's really how I started here. And then um, I don't think that my grandparents had an intentional plan for me when I started. It wasn't like, oh, you're going to be here. And then here it was, you know, I answered the phones for a couple of months and then I moved to accounts receivable. I I moved around in all different positions and um then my grandparents realized, okay, Jessica's serious about this, yeah. and um, things started going from there. Now, at this at that point, you didn't know anything about the trucking industry at all, right? You were just new, mm-hmm. right, fresh. Tell tell me about the tell me about the business at that time. What did the business look like? Um, f- 
the business, I mean, it looks pretty similar okay. as it does today. My grandparents always believed in having a diverse organization that serviced all realms of um, the freight industry. So it looks pretty similar. We've kind of delved into different things at different times. Um, but it, ultimately, it's like it's pretty much the ultimately, same. Ultimately, it was the same. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you said you got your start just kind of answering the phones. Mm -hmm. All right. So how did you kind of like make that transition from answering the phones to start moving higher up into the actual business yeah. and operations? So I'll tell you, <clears throat> answering the phones, and I tell this to anybody who walks through these doors in orientation, answering the phones, if I would not have done that, I would not know this business the way that I do. Because mm -hmm. if you think about it, people are calling, maybe not so much anymore because emails are so prevalent in organizations, but like, People calling in for freight um, requests, quote requests, vendors calling, drivers calling, people talking about equipment. Like there were so many things that were being asked and talked about on those phone calls. Like I, I learned so much. It was like my eyes were open. It was like, man, this is like this is actually a big business. Like my grandparents have going on here. Yeah. Um, and then my grandparents, after about a year, they pulled the grandkids aside and they were like, hey, we see that y'all are serious about this. We want to give you all a little carrot and okay. that carrot was they gifted us a little bit of the business and so when they did that my whole mindset changed it was like all right i have some skin in the game here i need to really think about you know what i'm doing and then i was like i'm gonna learn whatever i can mm. any position i took it was like i'm gonna soak it up try to you know learn as much as i could to be as successful as i could be in the business but remember i was like 21 22 right so I still was very young young still partying still like i mean life i was growing you know yeah how, how did the people here receive you being a young woman coming into mm -hmm. the into the building and they're like hey, who's, who's this young yeah. she don't know what she's talking about yeah. right talk, oh yeah talk, talk, talk me about oh that. gosh that was hard um Everybody thought I was just a granddaughter. My last name was King and, you know, I was here because Rex and Marilyn started the business. And I will tell you, I did have a chip on my shoulder when I got here. It was like, I graduated from college. Nobody in my family had graduated from college. I knew a bunch, but, you know, it wasn't until I started sitting with our people and understanding what well, these people know so much about our business and like, I can learn so much if I just sit back and listen and just keep my mouth shut. That yeah. Sometimes that's the best thing that you can do is just listen. Um, it was hard. It was hard coming in the business because, you know, it, you want so much for people to accept you because your grandparents have built something, something so great. Um, but you have to earn the respect. If you don't right. earn the respect on your own, you're never going to have it. Right, right. Tell tell me about the operation a little bit, about mm -hmm. like kind of like the day-to-day, -day, what you guys are, are doing. Yeah, so well, we have multiple divisions. Um, our business really started in the intermodal um, sector, and that's like containerized freight, things like that. Um, and then, you know, it transitioned to vans. So intermodal, it's still one of our largest divisions, and we service a lot of uh, freight coming in and out of the port of Houston. And um, we have... You know, our our divisions are segmented, they're siloed. Um, so we have a manager that runs that division and then we have drivers that service that division. We have um, our flatbed heavy haul division. Flatbed is like standard freight, legal freight, but then we also do really specialized things and that's kind of what we're known for. Mm. Um, and that operation runs on its own. Um, and then we have hot shot. Um, so, and, all of it has to work together. We all have to communicate. Um, it's it becomes 
difficult to manage so many <laughs> things like right. being really diverse and right. it, you're not focused on one thing your your mind has to change quite often but um operationally it, i think that again if you have the right people in place yeah. that know what they're doing um that changes everything and i think being the thing about me personally is um I I will never expect my people to do something that I don't know how to do. And I think that I would get into intermodal. I sat over with the dispatchers early on for flatbed heavy haul. Um, I'm not a driver, of course. I wish I was sometimes. <laughs> I'm actually studying to get my CDL. But um, I think just being in the middle of it and rolling up your sleeves and getting, getting dirty. Got it. Let's kind of go into the different divisions and, mm -hmm. and how you kind of operate them. So the intermodal, is that more so like a lot of direct customers that you guys have had over mm -hmm. the years? How does that kind of work? It's it ebbs and flows. Um, you know, I see on your podcast and like what you have going on, there's a lot of freight forwarders. There's yeah. a lot of logistics companies. So those those kinds of companies, there are partners in this industry. They get a lot of fr freight that we would not otherwise have the opportunity. But we also go direct to the shipper. Um, so we see both, um, both ways of getting it. Um, and it's, you know, pricing it the right way from the get go, making sure that the customer, whether it's a freight forwarder or, um, direct to the shipper, they understand how you're pricing things and what the expectations are. So I think our customer base just, it changes based on freight. It, you know, some people more frequently go to freight forwarders to have their freight moved and some people ship it themselves. Yeah. What, what's happening now in the, in, in the ports in the industry for you guys? Gosh, the, <clears throat> the ports right now in Houston, like today specifically, it's really slow. I mean, um, but overall it, understanding where the freight's coming from. So Atlanta port can be really, really hot and heavy or port of Houston, Los Angeles freight could be moving from Los Angeles to Houston, just understanding where the freight's going to come from mm. and making sure that you understand how those ports are working and Got what it. the expectations are, because you have all kinds of things that can happen in the ports. You can have demurrage, wait time. If you don't get the containers out in time, booking numbers, like there's just so many things operationally that can mess up that, you know, can really throw off a whole project. You don't get your containers there in time for the, to meet the vessel bookings, then the vessel leaves. Right. So like you have, like there's lots of things operationally that it takes to make sure you understand how the ports work. When, when you say slow, if you compare it to like what's normal for you guys, like how much are you guys like down right now compared to what's, mm -hmm. what's typical? I don't have an exact number for you, but I think we saw a tremendous boom in retail during the pandemic, right? Right. And that everybody is, was eating. Everybody. Every, like, <laughs> hey, <was> <laughs> what can I buy? Like, how fast can Amazon right. get here? Right. And um, that has slowed down. And I think, and if you watch consumer spending and you know uh, signs of re recession, all of those things, it's that's true. It, yeah. it is, and we feel it. We have to understand that. Um, we will ebb and flow with the markets and we have to prepare for those times. When that happens, what do you got, what do you do to kind of combat that or circumvent it? Or you just like kind of, it's, it's slow. It is what it is. Or are you like reallocating the guys and somewhere else? Mm -hmm. how, how do you, how do you work around that? So there's several different things. It's, you have to focus your sales team. Like you are going to have, if your one division is hot and heavy because they just got awarded a project, you have to know very quickly looking at data and your financials that they need to shift their focus and direct them. Um, 
So I think that's the first thing. And then making sure that your drivers are meldable. If they have um, expertise in another area, like if we have an intermodal driver who's used to hauling in the port, but he can also haul steel, like let's see what the steel division has going on or let's see what the flatbed division has going on to make sure that we can feed our drivers because the drivers aren't fed or not fed. That's right. And we got to make sure that they stay busy. So it's just, it's really, I think it boils down to data. Mm. Like in technology, using the information that's at your fingertips and using it wisely to react to whatever situation you're in. How do you how do you get that data? So, yeah, <laughs> um, before I got here, my grandparents were still like operating on green bar paper. Do you even know what green bar paper is? No. Can you please expand? I mean, I'll, I will send you a picture. <laughs> OK, it's like a ledger and they would literally write in their orders. My grandmother would keep the books on ledger paper. She would have somebody input into the computer, obviously, at some point. But it was very antiquated. Right. Um, so now it's like, how much information can we get? And how, like, the more information that we enter into the system, commodities hauled, length of time, number of miles, how much fuel, like all of those things, extracting that data in a way that's useful to be able to react to it, it I mean, it's like, it can save a business. Yeah. It, I mean, it just understanding the information that you're inputting and what's your output. How can you get that information in a way that it's useful for me, for my team, uh, for all of us. Are you using like specific like tools for that, like software or? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Trimble is, and I'm sure you've heard of Trimble. I've heard of Trimble. Okay. So Trimble. And then <clears throat> there are other like different add-ons that you can do with those programs. I don't know the names of them specifically, but different add-ons um, that you can use to procure the like data plugins. and yeah, and get it out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. So you guys are just, like you said, analyzing the data. Mm -hmm. Okay. Talk, talk to me about some of your more specialized divisions mm -hmm. and, and, and why it's important to have those kind of specialty kind of niche freight. Yeah. Um, so specialized freight means it means different things to different people. Okay. For us, it means it's really heavy. It's really big and it's going to be difficult to haul. It's, What's an example of that? So I would say the biggest thing that we've ever done, the most... Um, cool thing i guess <laughs> is the the 747 that is now sitting at nasa um okay. as their like museum nice and you know we don't do that so much anymore we've kind of scaled back in that area but how much would how much would you they pay on a load like that oh boy <laughs> oh man I can't even begin to tell you. It's, you know, that took six months of planning six before months us. Six to plan? Before us. Before we even got involved. Before we even got involved. And How did it, you get involved? So we had some friends that were freight forwarders, and um, we did it partially as a donation um, to help the cause, um, but obviously we couldn't afford to do all of it as a donation. So um, just knowing people relationships i mean yeah. that's what it's built on relationships yeah. for sure for sure okay tell me about some other things like okay. that so 747s that's pretty cool. yeah that's what pretty else? big right <laughs> um then you have like mods which are big powerhouses to power plants i mean there's lots of big things the that operation is so different than intermodal or anywhere else in this business because it takes planning and people and I, I hate to say anything bad about anybody, but there are people who will do it the right way, 
who are rogue haulers who are just going to load that stuff up on the trailer and roll it down I-10 and hope that they don't get caught. Right. But if you're doing it the right way, it takes a lot of planning, working with the counties, working with the city, um, understanding what permits you have to have, what roads you can haul on at what time. Because if you think about it, you don't want a three lane piece of equipment rolling down I-10 at four o'clock. That's right. Right. So, um, takes a lot of planning and then the drivers. That's the dri key. Oh, gosh. <laughs> if you don't have good drivers to haul that stuff, you better, might as well just hang it up because yeah. um, we have some really great drivers that know what to do and how to do it. And if they don't know what's going on, we could get permits right. We could do plan it all correctly. But if the driver does not know what's going on and he's not thinking intentionally and not thinking safely and, you know, really have his eye on the ball, then uh, the whole thing's going to go off. So, you know, and that, so drivers, dispatchers, permit coordinators, managers, you have field supervisors, you have escorts, you have people that are lifting up wires to make sure you can get underneath things. There's lots of things that take to do those really specialized, um, specialized loads. Got it. About how many loads, like loads like that are you moving on a, on a regular, on a regular basis? I mean, it's, it's all the time. All the time. Yeah. Um, I'd say, you know, we used to be in where we, we would haul a lot heavier freight. And I'd say that the Houston market has changed a little bit, like oil and gas. You're seeing a shift a little bit. Um, so what the commodity that we are hauling is not necessarily the same, but there's still really big stuff being hauled. Got it. You guys are in oil and gas too, right? Mm -hmm. Frack sand? Uh, no sand. No sand? No sand. What do you guys do? Uh, we were in crude hauling. Okay. Uh, we were in the bulk liquid space for a little bit and um, we exited at the right time. What happened? So if you, I don't know if you remember the oil boom for the South Texas area, I think it was 2012. Um, we had some friends in the industry who were playing and trying to capitalize on that oil boom and we got in. We started hauling crude at the right time and um kept our ear to the ground the whole time because it was something that we had never done before. It was really, it was truly the biggest risk that Palletize had take, taken since I'd come on board. It was like, what are we doing? We've never done this before. Like, Is the risk because of the unknown factors or unknown, what's the risk about it? Com commodity that we've never hauled. We'd ne never been in the liquid space. Um, it was equipment that we had never used before. It was in an area, we're Houston. I mean, we dispatch from Houston. We are that's what we love. That's what we know. Right. We'll go anywhere, but that's where our home base was. We had to open a terminal there. So it was just a lot of things that we had never done before. We had to figure it out very quickly to capitalize on it, but then keeping your ear to the ground to understand, all right, this is not what it was when we started. It's starting to decline. We need to think about exiting. Mm. And we did it at the right time. Got it. So when you take on a project like that, um, I'm sure you have to obviously allocate a lot of resources mm -hmm. to it and it's, it's a lot of money and so mm -hmm. forth, right? Yeah. Just kind of, uh, cause you're diversifying. Right. And you don't really know where it's going. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and you have a hotshot division also, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. When did you guys get the hotshots? So we've always kind of had hotshot. Um, it's just been kind of hit or miss, but I'd say for the last, oh, 10 or so years, um, it's not like a huge service that we offer, but we offer it to make sure that our customer, if a customer comes to us, we have a one-stop shop. They don't have to go book flatbed, van, intermodal freight with us, and then go to a hotshot carrier to get that service. So um, it's 
It runs pretty smooth. Uh, our our fleet is super small. It's nothing big, but it supports our customers and their needs when they need it. Got it. Tell, tell me about your fleet. Um, you know, equipment. Mm-hmm. How do you guys look at that? Do you have older equipment? Do you keep new equipment? What, yeah. do you, what is your methodology around that? Yeah. Um, so my grandfather would tell you that I squeak when I walk meaning I'm so tight with money, it's not even funny. (laughs) So I am not of the opinion that you need to turn your assets every three years, every five years. That's not how I run our business. I try to maximize the usage of our equipment and make sure that it's obviously safe and roadworthy, all of those things. Um, But maximizing the use of those assets to make sure we're getting the biggest bang for our buck. And sometimes it's it goes south on you real fast because obviously those assets take a lot to maintain. Um, but so we, so we have around 250 trucks right now owned and leased. And then we have about 420 to 430 pieces of equipment for trailers. Okay. Um, and you know, that's, we buy and we sell. I mean, it's, you got to think about how much you're spending on your assets, uh, spending on the trucks. If the truck is costing you more than you actually paid for it, then you probably have an issue and you need to look at all of the expenses. But you have to think about, you know, tires that are an expense that you're going to have regardless of what truck it is. Right. You're going to have PMs regardless of how old the truck is. So understanding your cost and what that looks like. Got it. What about when you're looking to like scale? How do you guys look at look at scale? Are you always adding new equipment or do mm-hmm. you try to just stay within a certain range or what do you how do you look at that? So my goal here is not to be the biggest trucking company in town. So I don't necessarily want to go. I don't have a goal of I want to buy 30 trucks this year so I can get to 280. I want to make sure that our assets that we have are safe and roadworthy. So we replace what we need to replace. And then if we can add, we absolutely add. But it also depends on freight volumes. If we don't have the freight coming in, a truck sitting is the worst thing you can have because problems are going to go wrong. It's not going to like it. It's not going to be good for the business. You're right. going to be spending money to get the asset running every single time it's been sitting. Yeah. So um, we don't look to scale necessarily. I think it just it depends on freight volumes. And if we have something that we have a need for, then we're ready to jump at it. Got it. You're the CFO, mm-hmm. Chief Financial Officer. Yes. So what is your job, if you could put that into words to oh. simplify it for somebody? There are no words. <laughs> there are no words. Um, I'm sure you wear many hats, right? Yes. Because... You know, it's, you're not just like hired to be. A, this is a family mm-hmm, business, right? right? But in your role, what are you? What are you primarily looking at? What What kind of data points? What kind of KPIs? What, what's important to you? Yeah. Um. So I would say that my role is technically probably president, and I'm not taking anything away from my uncle who has that <laughs> title. But from a day to day perspective, I'm running the business, and it's not just from a financial perspective. So I have a controller who is really, really great. So she's looking at the financial aspect and that KPIs of what are our assets costing? Um, what's our, what is our run rate per mile? What's our revenue per mile? Things like that. Um, gross and net, like where's your overhead? Where's your overhead trending? Are you having a huge increase in fleet maintenance costs? And so how it works in our organization is she compiles all of that information and then we review it to understand, okay, well, we have an issue here and this is how we're going to address it. So then operationally, I can go back in with our team and say, hey, this is what we're seeing. 
Um, and this is how we need to adjust to it. And sometimes it's a conversation and sometimes it's not a conversation. It's, hey, this is what we're doing. We have no choice because we have to react to what's happening. Can you give me an example of how that, like like what that would look like in real life? Like, Yeah, um, I can give you a small example, like mm, 2020, 2020. Um, downturn was happening. And when you go through your financials, you should obviously be looking at, in my opinion, every line item. What is everything doing? How is it trending? And if you have things trending up, you need to look at it. And one thing that we were seeing was uh, like truck washes. Truck washes were out of control. And it's because we had our truck wash vendor open to our drivers that they could go at any time. They could go five times a week. They could go one time a month and we had no say so, no control over that. Um, but we quickly saw that when our revenue was decreasing, that cost was staying the same. Mm. It wasn't trending down like it should have been. So just flat out saying, all right, truck washes are cut off. We're gonna have a schedule for this. This is what it's gonna look like and reacting to it. There was no discussion about it. It was, we have to do this to make sure our business stays good. That makes a lot of sense. What, what are some other places where you see waste? Um. So I'd say equipment repairs, you have to be really careful. Um, that's one, understanding the age of your assets and if it's worth fixing. And if it's not, then having a bigger, bigger discussion about it. Um, overhead, you know, if your freight volumes are decreasing, what does your overhead look like for people? And I, that is the biggest hang up here is people because it's right, the hardest part. Oh, right? it's the hardest part. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because uh, your people love you, man. Uh, I can tell just by walking around. Uh, it's like I can tell the culture here is very not, family oriented. I appreciate that. You might not have asked the right people. No, I'm just kidding. I, I got to walk around a little bit more. Yeah, I hope they love me. Yeah. Um, but just making sure you're in line. Like if you have 200 drivers, but you have 150 office people something's wrong. Like it does not take 150 people to support 200 drivers. Mm. So I think just understanding what that balance looks like and there's ratios that you can look at. Is it one to six or is it one to eight? You know, there are different things that you can measure to understand, okay, it real or if you increase your technology, you're going to have a little bit higher technology expense. You might decrease headcount, but you know, what is, how is that going to better serve your organization? Yeah. Or I really need a person in this place to support our drivers, to give them that good feeling. Yeah, it's, it might be more efficient with technology, but understanding how your overhead plays into that. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you think that happens? Like to where you, you know, you, you do too much hiring or you get too much, like, how, how do you think that happens over time? I think that, you know, when business, business is booming, you're not really looking at all of that. You know, you're making money, things are going good. And it's like, hey, you know, we're going to make sure we're staffed up. Things are going really good. And then you're like, oh, deer in the headlights, like freight's not here right now. We've got to adjust to that. Right. And again, it's data. You got For to go sure. back to the data to see what's happening. And if you are seeing that your accounts are looking bad and you're, you know, whatever data point you want to look at, it's going to tell you something. What's been the most challenging part of, of, of your journey? If you kind of look back through the years, what, what was a difficult time for you or a situation that was really difficult for you? goes back to the people. Um, so I gave you one example of crude, our crude oil division. We started it, wrote it out. It was booming. It was great. But then we had to make the hard decision to shut it down. And what does that mean? That means you're impacting people. people. Yeah. And you're impacting people's lives. Um, so that was really hard making that decision. And then that's not 
the first and only time that we've had to do that. Um, I told you we were doing super heavy for a while, super heavy haul, and the market was getting, we were some of the first uh, family-owned business, family business in Houston that was doing that. Um, but the market got super saturated with a lot of international companies coming into Houston and offering that service, and they could do it far cheaper than we could as a family-owned business. They had more capital, like it just looked a lot different. So again, ear to the ground, understanding what the market was bearing, what your customers are telling you, what the rates are doing. Um, ear to the ground and said, hey, we got to pull out of this and yeah. we got we to gotta make the most of it. So again, it was the people. It was like, here we are again, making a decision that's impacting people's lives and you don't ever want to do that. You don't want to impact them in a negative way. You want it to be on the up and up. For sure, for sure. As a large carrier, because you guys would be considered like a mega carrier, you know, I think they like over two hundred fifty trucks. Mm. Somebody say you're a mega carrier, right? What What are some of the problems that that you guys have that some like a, a smaller carrier wouldn't have? Like, you know, they they always say there's levels to it, right? Okay. So speaking to a smaller carrier who wants to grow to your size, right? Like, what are some of the things like? This is what you're going to be facing once mm -hmm. you start, once you grow. Yep. The grass isn't maybe greener on the other side, it right? It never is. Talk, talk, speak to that yeah. a little bit. The first thing I'd say is understand what you're good at. And for a company like us, I'm kind of speaking out both sides of my mouth right now. Like uh, we do it all, but I think that if we focused on one thing, we could be really, really great at something. Mm. Um, so I think understand what you're good at. And don't try to put yourself in too many places at once. Get in where you fit in and just make the most of it. And I think that if you're trying to grow, it's about relationships. It's, you know, who do you know? What do you know? Who do they know? What do they know? How can they connect you and being authentic? Don't just try to make a relationship because you think it's going to do something good for you create and foster a relationship that it doesn't matter if they're at this freight forwarder today or if that that freight forwarder tomorrow that is a good relationship so i'd say building on relationships and then the third thing i'd say is data i mean i i don't want to keep saying <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. but like the more you know about your business the more information you have the better you can guide your ship yeah how have you built good relationships I, it's taken, you know, it's, that's a hard thing. Relationships are hard. And, um, I'd say building relationships internally, I think, you know, for anybody, me or some small carrier trying to start out building a relationship with your people, that means showing up, showing that you care, showing that you're present, willing to work alongside them. I think for customers it's, um, and, and your people doing what you say you're going to do. If you say that, hey, we're going to haul this load for $1,000 and it ends up costing you $1,200 because it's your fault, the carrier's fault, you eat it. You mm. figure it out and you do what you say you were going to do. Now, if a customer says, hey, this freight was 1,000 pounds and you get there and it's 20,000 pounds and that's the customer trying to get one over on you, then it's a different discussion. So I think it's making them believe what you say and doing what you say so they know that it's true. Mm, I love that. Is there a, a baseline where you guys kind of operate in terms of RPM rate per mile and everything, or is it just, how, how, do, you look at, how do you look at that? It fluctuates, it fluctuates so based much. on what? So like intermodal, the rate per mile would be much different than it would be for a heavy load. It costs way more to move a heavy load than it does intermodal. 
So like weight variances, all of those things. Right. So I can't, I could not give you a specific too, number. Too broad, right? Yeah, very broad. Got you. You you mentioned earlier uh, that if you were to focus on one thing, that you guys could be great, mm-hmm. right? And when you said that, it kind of felt like that's something that you 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 were pushing for maybe at one point. Yeah. Is because is, just by your, your face, mm-hmm. is that something that you wanted to do with the company or? or still want to do with the company. Talk to me about that. I think initially I did not understand why we were here, there. Like I did not get that. And I don't think that I necessarily understood everybody's strong suits here. We have years and years and years of combined experience, whether it be an intermodal or flatbed heavy haul, hotshot. We have people that know what they're doing. So I think, you know, if you're starting out, and you think that you want to be here, 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 and here, but you don't know if your people are really great at doing it, you're going to have a hard time. For me, I know we have great people. I know we know what we're doing. I know that my flatbed heavy haul manager has been in this business a really long time and she knows what she's doing. So do I want to do that now? No, I, we are diverse and I know what we have to offer and I know that we're really good at it. But back then it was like, what what in the hell are we doing? Like this is way <laughs> too much going on here. Right. Um, but it's good. How, how do you? Well, let me ask this question: Is there ever a, a time where you have a number where you'd want to sell palletized trucking? <laughs> My grandfather would always tell me everything's for sale. If you were to ask me, is this business for sale? I'd say absolutely not. Mm. I like I grew up working. I would never be a stay-at-home mom. And no, no, I'm not saying anything bad about those who choose to do it. I applaud them for doing it as well. But I love to work and I love what I do. And I think that loving trucking has, I would not sell this place. If somebody come to me and said $200 million or a billion, like, all right, let's... (laughs) Let's have a conversation. Think about it. Yeah, right, 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 right but right, right. I'd take that money and I'd go start another trucking company. <laughs> Good luck, because I'm going to be your competition. I like that. I yeah. like that. Man, okay, okay, cool. Talk to me about just, um, you know, some of the other things that got kind of keep you up at night, you know, just being, you know, entrepreneurial, building the business. Let's talk about your mindset and how you stay focused on building. Like, how, how do you have that determination? Because- we all know this industry is not easy no. and it's not always fun. It's very difficult and it's very arduous and there's a lot of moving parts and it's very stressful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some people, they had opportunity to get out. They'd be like, man, please give a, a number, name a number, you know, tell them to come talk to me. <laughs> I might buy them. So, so where do you, where do you get that from? What, what drives you? What motivates you? I think, so I have this um, sticky note on my mirror. And it's, it's a number. And the number right now, I can't remember. That. I think it's 1,204. 1,204. So when I wake up in the morning, that's the first thing I see. 1,204. Okay. When I'm brushing my teeth, I see that sticky. When I'm brushing my hair, I see that sticky. That is, if you take the number of drivers we have and those people have families at home, I think about how many people are depending on us every day. So what drives me is that. I know how many people depend on us every day. And I look at it kind of like a ship. I use this analogy all the time. If the captain of the ship is not thinking about getting somewhere safely with all of its people, getting them to their destination, what point is that captain to be on the ship? 
right? Right. So people are depending on me every day to be the captain of the ship. And yes, I have lots of people to support me and lots of people like really great people that know what they're doing. But if we don't all have the same vision, the same goal of getting the ship to the same place, it'll never work. So that's my first reason for like, I don't care how hard this place is. I don't care what I face tomorrow, yesterday, we're going to figure it out because yeah. there's a lot of people depending on us. Um, but again, that keeps you up at night. Are you making the right decisions financially? Are you sound to make sure if there is another pandemic, are you going to make it through? Um, my philosophy when the whole pandemic came up was like, we're going to ride this out, but we're not going to be the same as where we started. We are going to be better than where we were when this pandemic is over. We're going to be, we're going to have people in places. We're going to train. We're going to do all kinds of things. We're going to implement new systems. And we did that, um, implement new systems while it's kind of in a lull and, um, come out better than we were before. So those kind of things keep me up at night. What I do is I wake up and I send myself emails. Like I got to focus on this in the morning, focus on that. And I'll tell you, I wake up probably five or six times at night doing mm. that. I mean, it's a horrible thing, but it's also a great <laughs> thing, you know? Got it. How do you, how do you, how do you build and foster culture here at Palletized Trucking? You know, I feel like, and maybe I'm, uh, I don't know if I'm maybe being too hard on myself or maybe I'm giving an honest truth that I don't want to hear. I think we lost our culture for a little bit. I mm. think, um, you know, the transition with my grandparents, every, my grandparents had a very specific way that they ran this business. And, Yes, I want to keep their identity and I want to keep their culture, but I also want to make it my own. And I also want to change with, you know, we can't operate the way they operated. We have to change and evolve to make sure we are keeping up with the times or else we're not going to be here. Um, so to answer your question, I, that's a hard one. Hmm. That's a really hard one. Got it. Working on it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That's okay. a, the, the culture I'm, okay, let me go back. Let me think about that a little bit. That's a tough one. You did not prep me for that question. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be real here. Well, um, the, the thing is, the thing is, Jessica, as I walk around, I, I feel culture in here. Mm -hmm. No, I, no, right? I think. So it's here. Yeah. I, no, I 100%, I, I, what I was trying to say is I felt like we lost it for a time. I think we absolutely have a culture here today. It yeah. is. That time, that mix, that shuffle, you know, my grandparents exiting the business, not seeing them as much. A lot of our drivers, older drivers that were here that only knew Rex in Maryland. And now they have this young 30 year old woman in here trying to tell you how this place is going to go. Like right. that can get lost in the shuffle really fast. For sure. But I think what we were founded on was safety. What we were founded on were, was our drivers. That, you know, that is who we are. We are like, if you ask anybody in town, they're going to tell you we're going to do it safely and we care about our drivers. And if they don't, they don't know who we are. They have no idea. So I, I'd say safety in our people, our culture, our drivers in particular. Um, but it's a hard thing to maintain because there's a lot of, you know, people move these days. Like the, how it, this place was when I first started, we had people that had been here 30, 40 years. Mm. People that you hire today, they don't stay in one place. That's right. They shift around a lot. I mean, it is not the same that, as it was. Yeah. So it's hard to maintain that. Got it. How, how important is uh, like revenue goals for you? Hmm. That's an interesting question. That is not at the top of my list. I thought you were going to say that. Mm -mm. 
I don't like, do I check my numbers every day to be sure that we're hitting targets and our forecasts and meeting our break even? Yeah. All, yeah. I get a spreadsheet every morning. It's in my inbox to make sure I know where we're at, what division met the goal yesterday and what division didn't. But that's not, that's not my focus. People. And uh, yeah, people. And I don't know as Maybe that's the wrong answer. Serving as chief financial officer, I'm like, you are the CFO. (laughs) Yeah, wrong answer. Try again, right? No, I. Yeah, that's not my. mm -mm. I do. I. I love making money. I love for our drivers to make money. That's why we're all here. But that's not why we're here. We're here because we love trucking and we want our people to be successful. And you know, that's the name of the game. Do you think people get into the industry now for the wrong reasons? Some, some people, we can't say all, but do you think there are people that are getting into trucking for the wrong reasons? Absolutely. If you, I don't know if this number is still accurate. I looked a few months ago, but I think there are over 20,000 registered carriers in the state of Texas. It's oversaturated. You have these, and I love mom and pops because that is our story. That is my grandfather started with one truck and I totally get that. But if people are getting in thinking that they're just going to go buy a truck off the side of the road, make some money real quick, not do it the right way, it hurts our industry. It hurts our image. It hurts who we are because, I mean, you know what the image of trucking is to some, like these big bad truck drivers who cause these horrible accidents and, you know, it hurts our name. It yeah. hurts who we are. And um, I don't like that. that that's, that's hard. What 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 is the proper image? What What should it look like? We run America. It is, we are who America runs on. I mean, if we, if we were not putting food on the shelves, if we were not um, getting generators into power plants when one goes out, like we... Like there are so many things that we touch that people just don't realize. I think we are what America runs on. Mm. It's not milk. It's not <laughs> whatever you want to. Yeah, it's we. It's trucking. Got it. Do Do you have any competitors in your space that you? Oh that you yeah. Look at? And I love competition. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, we have some nice competition and we have some mean competition. Um, you know. We try to play as fair as possible, and um, what does that mean to play fair? Play fair. Like, How do you play fair in business? Play fair. You help when somebody needs help. My grandfather I, and I, there are a few carriers in town who are really big, who will tell. Like we, I've been at like different um, conventions, and they'll stop me and be like, "If it weren't for your grandfather, I would never be where I am today." So mm. I think. Being friendly and like helping those who you know have your back ultimately, I think that's key. But there are some people who play dirty. I mean, it's just like anything else. It's, you know, people like to say bad things. They like to spread rumors. I mean, it's, it's it is with, it's uh, with any, yeah, as it is with anything else. Yeah. And just realizing like if you do it right and you, you know who you are. Right. If you know who you are and you're trying to do the best that you can do, that'll that'll win every time. Yeah. What's what's the worst thing that's ever been said about your company? Oh, there's been a shit ton. <laughs> I might not. I don't want to say. You're good. Yeah. You're good. Uh, yeah. There's lots of things. I mean, we've had carrier other carriers call in on us and say that we're running rogue permits. Um, we've had you know stuff we're selling or we're going out of business or we're filing bankruptcy. I mean. I've heard it all. It, and and that one of your things that I think you wanted to talk about at some point was the social media. It's like I can control 
our image. I can control our message with social media. All these things that go around so quickly and yeah. spread, like it's like that telephone game where you put one thing up and then it goes to the next person, goes to the next person. By the time it's to the last person, it's absolutely not what you said the first time. That's right. Um, so it's like, hear it from me. Hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. I'm going to tell you what's up. Yeah, and, and let's and let's talk about that. I know you're very active on social hmm. media, trucking with Jessica. Yeah, right. When did you get that started, and what was the? I mean, you just kind of spoke to it a little bit. Yeah. That was one of the reasons, yeah. right? But tell me why you started to get active on social media and start dropping gems and educating and kind of you know encouraging people because because you could be one of the reasons why people are getting into this industry, right? I, I don't think with my following, I'm having that great of an impact. I think I think you might be the reason I'm on social media. Touche. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a truck and hustle. I'm like, you know what? If he's got, got that many followers, stop this guy. come on. Yeah, yeah. But talk to me. What, what made you get into the, the social media space? Why is that important? I have several reasons. The first being who isn't on social media. True. Right? Um, the second reason would be I can control my message and I can control the image of Palatized in a way you hear it from me. This is what's up. This is what's going on in our business. This is what's important to us. This is how I can educate you. Um, the third would be, I, and I said this before, people aren't staying in the same job. People are moving from this freight forwarder to this freight forwarder. But I'm going to tell you one thing that's consistent with every single one of those 20 or 30-year-olds, their social media account, mm. right? Mm. They, they are going to be on it whether we like it or not. So if I can be in front of them and show them maybe the fun side of me, the, the hopefully the cool side of me, <laughs> um, but also educate and inform them about who we are, then I will 100% do that. And then I think the other thing is our competition's doing it. And um, people are recruiting our drivers off of it. And I, it's just a, an entire space that we're never going to get away from. So if you can't beat them, what do you do? You got to join them. You got to join them. You got to be better than them. Yes. That's for sure. So that's okay. what we're doing. Spe speaking of drivers uh, and, you know, people poaching drivers and so forth, what are you guys doing to incentivize your drivers to keep them around, to retain your guys? What, what do you... What are you thinking about? If, if, if you're not doing it now, what are you going to do in the future? Right. Tell me about that. Can't give you all my secrets. You can't, but can't. you can give me a few. No, no. I think making them feel like they're people. Like uh, we got into a situation. I don't want to air my dirty laundry out here, but like 2020 pandemic, we had to shut the doors. We put up all these glass things, these glass partitions. Like it was, it was night and day to how we normally operated. And our driver's feedback was, you're making me feel like I don't matter. You're making me feel like I'm a number, I'm a stepchild, whatever you want to call it. You're making me feel like I don't matter. So it was like, oh, shit. Like, we, like, that's not, that's not who we are. That's not what the environment that we want to create. But at the same time, we have to make sure our people feel safe. Like, yeah. this is for COVID. Yes, right? for COVID. Okay. Um, but even then, it's like, did we go too far with that to make our drivers not feel wanted? So that is an example. But making our drivers feel like they matter. All of my drivers, every single one of them have my cell phone number. There's not, when I go through orientation, I do not miss an orientation in here. If I do, it's for very good reason. Um, I sit with our drivers. I talk to them about our history. And before I leave that room, their cell phone number is plugged into my phone and my cell phone number is plugged into theirs. So 
letting them know they have an outlet in me, not just their manager or whoever else they know here. They can talk to me about what's going on. And I don't think you can get that very many places. Um, the other thing is just making sure your freight volumes stay where they need to be to feed them. You know, if you can't feed them, then they're going to go somewhere else. That's right. And why wouldn't they? And I tell anybody, anybody that comes through orientation, I might not be your cup of tea. Palletize might not be your cup of tea. We're going to go through hard times. We're not going to be perfect, but I guarantee you, we love you here and we're going to do everything we can to support you. But if we're not your cup of tea, I will support you going somewhere else. I want you to be happy. I want you to be successful. That's what life's about. And I will wish them well and be a reference, whatever I need to do to help them. Yeah. How's your driver turnover been? Um, you know, I would say our driver turner turnover overall was probably one of the lowest in the industry. Mm. Um, you look at numbers 95, 99% at one time, ours was sitting below 20%. Mm. Um, that is not the case anymore just because you see a younger crowd, the older guys, the drivers that have been, that are veterans, professional drivers, they're exiting, they're hanging it up, they're retiring. So, um, I think that changes the narrative a little bit. And I'm not here to say people my age or your age aren't loyal and, but it's what's the next best thing? Where can I go next? That's right. And um, that's okay. It, it's social media too, because you see so mm -hmm. many opportunities. Oh yeah, there, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So it has a lot to do with it. What What is uh, your your driver hiring criteria like in terms of MBR? Do you like? Is it what's your specific like? Strict, really strict. I I, I thought it would mm -hmm. be. Yeah, ours is probably more strict than most, and you know. My safety and HR team have come to me a couple times and said, hey, can we lower the um, age requirement? Can we lower the number of years of experience? Can we, excuse me. You're good. Can we, can we do different things to get more drivers in here? The answer is no. Yeah. No, we are built on a culture of safety and we are going to screen our drivers to be the best that they can be. We like, uh, and no offense to young drivers, but 25, you have to be age 25 here. Three you, years. Yeah. Yeah. Three years. Um, like no kind, mm -hmm, like kind experience. You need the experience in which you are applying. So if you're a, a flatbed driver, but you're applying to do intermodal, that's not going to work, work here. Yeah. Um, we need experienced drivers that are ready to do the job when the job is given to them. Got it. Got it. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. You have to have a standard. Yeah, it's standard. But I think also it's to our detriment. Like we're talking about doing different training programs and things like that, that a lot of these bigger carriers are doing. Um, but it's a learning process. It's yeah. not, Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah, because I mean, a, a, a lot of carriers have reduced, you know, the, a, a lot of the larger, the mm -hmm. largest carriers, they'll go to one year, sometimes six months. Nope. Right. But then you have a catastrophic accident and it's like, was uh -huh. it really worth it? Yeah. No. You know, they just weren't ready at the time. Yeah. So nah, make make makes makes a lot of sense. Um, what else do I want to cover with you? We talked about your social media getting in there. We talked about that. Um, when oh. do I get to ask the questions? You want to ask questions? No, I'm just kidding. I'm I was kidding. gonna say <laughs> that that would be let's, interesting. Let's flip this narrative. Let's flip it. Do you want to ask a question? Because I'll be happy to answer it. Yeah, I think. Go ahead. I'm listening. <clears throat> why is sharing the stories of people that are in trucking important to you? Wow, that's a great question. Nice. So, 
Now, see, I didn't take notes. I was prepared for this one. So I will tell you that I've been in the industry for 20 plus years. Okay. Started very young, uh, got my CDL, learned that driving a truck wasn't for me because I just wasn't comfortable. But I got a, I got a, I got lucky and got an opportunity to, to to run a small mom and pop company. Okay. Uh, I was paid about forty five thousand dollars as a salary. I didn't go to college, and um, at that time it was a very good salary for my credentials, right? And transportation literally changed my life. It, okay. it gave me an opportunity, and it was something that I never thought I would be in. I never aspired to be in the trucking industry, transportation at all. But when I got into it, I realized that it was like a, like a secret society, man, like an underworld. And like we're a really special group of people uh-huh. that have a specialized set of skills. Like uh, what's my man from uh, that movie, Taken? Taken. We, we, we have a specialized set of skills and we're very unique. And for me, uh, when I realized that, I, 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 you know, it made me feel special. And not only that, but my, my 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 network, all of my friends, everybody that I know from that time up, they're all in the industry. Right. Whether they're drivers or you know service providers or whatever, that's that's my peer group. So, uh, what was important to me was to make people understand about the opportunities in the industry, right? Because there's a lot of people who are in transportation, but a lot of times they may just drive, which is nothing wrong with that. Right. But I think there's more you can do. Right? right. You can expand your mindset and there's other things you can do. You don't have to you don't have to only drive if you want to do something different. Um, there's guys who may work in a warehouse but not understand the supply chain, like how the stuff that you're picking or you're packing even gets there or where it goes after it leaves on right. the truck. So I just wanted to be able to show all the different ways you can, you know, create opportunities for your family. And 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 live a great life just in this within this industry because it's really a it's really an amazing industry like you said everything in this room everything that we eat consume it all comes on a truck right so I think it's the most important industry out there you know aside from like you know nurses and yeah, other people absolutely. that provide you know help for people but it's like you know and I think the best way to encourage people to do something is by showing them other people who have done it. Right, because I could tell you all day. That's good. I That's tell insightful. You, I, could, I think yeah, I needed to hear that. That was the one, right? Yeah. I could tell you all day, like you can do it, but if I don't show you stories, if I don't show you people that look like you, yeah. if I don't show you people that you can relate to, people who come from similar backgrounds, if I don't show you that, then I'm just really talking hot air. Yeah. You you can't. It's all about proximity. If I'm close to you, if I'm hanging out with you every day. Right. The more after three, six months, I start feeling like I could be the CFO of Palatize. Absolutely. But if I'm not around you, I may never feel that. I may never get that. Right. Right. So I need to be around you. So the podcast is about bringing you around people. Not you're not directly in front of them, but you get to watch them and you get to hear their stories and you get to hear like their stories. Like I came from Kansas I didn't know nothing Yeehaw! about trucking, right? Right. And here I am now running this large transportation company, right? So when you see that, it, it's nothing better than that. So we can go and talk. We, we could have trans. There's other media out there that talks about the spot market and data points and all these really sophisticated things. But you have to start with like story. Like, why did you want to do this in the beginning? Yeah. Why is this important to you? What made you end up here? And I think when you when you when you start there, now it makes people say, "All right, this is interesting." And then 
They just continue on the journey. Yeah, yeah. And if and if it's something they want to do, they'll continue on in the right way. But and our goal is to make people want to do it the right way. You know, so we we sensationalize things like because there are some like great success stories, right? So you see like the huge numbers and they made this amount of money, right. and that's great. But at the end of the day, there's like a quarter that that's more important than the money. Like you said, the people, um, you know, just 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 the hustle, the grit, the determination, or the resilience. All those things are what's really important. The process, the journey is what it's all about. So we want to cover the journey. I love it. Was that good? That was great. You know, I I think you need to be interviewed more often. (laughs) We need to turn these tables. You know what? People have said that. People have said that. But, you know, I I bring joy in in putting a spotlight on others. That's cool. I don't like to talk about myself too much. Yeah, I I like like to talk to people like you. No, no. (laughs) That's why I'm like, can we talk about something else real fast? Why why was the company named Palletize? It's an interesting name. Yeah, my grandfather, um, my grandfather has a really interesting story. And I think people who are starting in this business can relate to it. Um, he actually start. I don't want to trail off into something else, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to directly answer your question. I yeah, promise. Yeah. So my grandfather um, worked for a company who brought him to Houston to work in packaging and shipping. So you were talking about not understanding supply chain. And he would tell me, I give a lot of my credit to understanding trucking by working in the warehouse to understand if a trucker does not show up on time or if he shows up late or he shows up early and doesn't have the right stuff on his truck. Like all of those things, how does trucking impact this? So got to start, goes into business um, with a guy who absolutely screws him takes all of my grandparents money and uh my grandfather is they're left with nothing Mm. um when it like thought that they were business uh partners long story um anyways so he goes to work in florida and is commuting back and forth and somebody calls and says hey can i uh get some freight moved i understand you're in trucking my grandfather's like i'm not in trucking anymore but hang on let me call a couple people So borrows a truck, borrows a trailer, and does this job for the people. Goes back to work in Florida and comes back a couple weeks and gets another phone call. And it started picking up from there. And he tells my grandmother, this is what he would tell me. He called her mom. Mom, I think we can do this on our own. We don't need that other guy. We can figure this out on our own. So he used an insurance policy as collateral to buy his first truck and uh, borrowed a trailer and started his business and he would haul a lot of palletized freight Mm. and he kept he said that he'd go deliver the freight that was on pallets and they'd ask him to take off the freight off the the pallets he's like this makes no fucking sense (laughs) like what is going on like let me just leave this pallet so he said that that's how he came up with the name palletized trucking okay and so a lot of people are like oh you only haul palletized freight and i'm like no my grandfather just you would think but it makes sense Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great story. All right. Well, um, I think we covered a lot. I, no, we did. I, I, I feel like we got to get a sense of who you are. I feel like we got to get a really great sense of who palletized trucking is. I got the family history. Yeah. I know where you guys are going. Yeah. I feel good. Good. How I you am feel? so, so thankful for the opportunity. And I love hearing why you're doing this because I think everybody has to have a why. And if you don't have a why, then, um, what good is it? And I love your why. And I think this is a great industry to share stories of. And there are a lot of awesome people who have had some great success and great failures yeah. uh, to be great successes. So I, That's right. it's awesome. I'm so glad that I've had the opportunity to speak with you and um, 
share the story of Palatize because it's a great one. Wow. Amazing. All right, Hustle Fam. If you don't respect that, your whole perspective is whack. This has been another amazing, amazing episode with Jessica King. I can't wait to see you at Freight Fest. Yes, I'll be there. That's going to be super exciting. So, uh, yeah, man, I guess that's it. Let's, I guess we let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it out. Hustle Fam, if you don't respect that, your whole perspective is whack. If you smell something burning, it's only your desire. Myself, Jessica King, Palatized Trucking, we are out. Out. <laughs> if you twisted, confused, or stuck about trucks, don't be dumb. This is the place to come. Truck and hustle. Let's go.